Let us pray. Lord God, we do pray that you will help us to understand your word today, written something like 4,000 years ago by King David. Lord, help us to understand what he saw that day when he was out in the desert looking up to the mountains range of Lebanon and Israel. And help us, Lord, to understand the truth that he, that you spoke to him through that event. Help us, Lord, to get, therefore, a bigger view of you, Lord, so that we might have a bigger and greater faith in you. And this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I didn't explain there are actually five chapters in my book um, and there are 52 poems. The first chapter has 12 poems and the next ten, next four chapters have 10 poems. And they all do different things. So people ask me, is it about the Psalms? <laughs> An actual fact, each in each chapter has a little, a little um, exposition, a little word, that's a better, a better word, a little word about one of the Psalms. And the chapter that this particular sermon and, uh, and uh, psalm particularly relates to is chapter 3, which is weather and the sea. Uh, I actually just sang a, so- a song which is a poem about the seashore, so that, that poem actually is in that chapter. Um, but the fir- earlier parts of the chapter deal with poems dealing with weather. And David himself wrote a prayer of the created poem, Psalm 29. And because in that particular poem, he uses a weather event to actually speak about God in a most powerful way, as we're going to see during this, this, this uh, exposition. And you see, David, in fact, witnessed, we think, a thunderstorm probably out in the desert. He might have been coming back with his army from uh, troubles he's had in the north and he was going through the, the desert of Kedash, which is around the Jerusalem area. It's around Jerusalem and south of Jerusalem is considered to be the Kadesh Desert, which he mentions in the psalm. And he um, actually witnessed a thunderstorm, a massive thunderstorm, running down the uh, Lebanon-Israel mountains. And that thunderstorm inspired him. Now, I don't know what thunderstorms do to you. Um, um, Two months ago, my wife and I were in different parts of the house and crang, a big thunder went straight over the top of our house. It absolutely filled the house and I leapt out of my seat in absolute terror, you know, for a few seconds there, (laughs) realising it was just thunder. It wasn't the house being... uh, uh, demolished by something. We, my daughter had a dog that literally went crazy when there was a thunderstorm and they had to grab the dog, throw it in the laundry and lock the door and the dog would howl and jump around and it was, just went crazy during a thunderstorm and I heard that other dogs do that. It's not uncommon. So I don't know what goes through your mind and what emotions you feel when you're in the thunderstorm but my goodness, David, what did he do? David thought about God. David thought about the glory and the majesty and the power of God. That's what he thought about as he witnessed the thunderstorm 4,000 years ago. He speaks in verse 4, The Lord's voice, the the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. He saw that the thunder represented and gave him the idea of God's voice, God's word being powerful and mighty. And uh, David is describing a storm that you could see today in Israel. My wife and I, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to Jordan and Israel. 
maybe it's a storm season, apparently, uh, November. So we could witness one of these storms because apparently some of the most ferocious storms that happened in the world happened over, happened over Lebanon and Israel. The reason for that is they develop over the Mediterranean Ocean and as they come across, there's very high mountains at the northern part of Lebanon. Uh, Mount Hermon, which is called Mount Syrian in this psalm, is, is a snow-capped mountain. And as, the, as those storms come across the Mediterranean Ocean, they smash into the uh, mountains there and they go up and then they come boom, down in a massive way. And then they race down the Lebanon mountains, down over the Israel mountains and they dump all their water over Jerusalem. And you know, Jerusalem actually relies on those storms. It's a very dry place. And that's one of the ways in which that very dry place gets some water from those storms. And so David is witnessing one of these storms that particular day when he was coming back probably from a, from a, from a, um, from a battle. And you know, even in the temple, we have the word, they all cried glory. They're worshipping even in the temple. When I was in Bible college, we had a speaker one day who said something very powerful to us that's always stuck in my mind. And what he said was, if you want to get a big faith in God, you need to get a big view of God. If you want to get a bigger faith in God, you need to get a bigger view of God. And I hope today, through this psalm and this talk, you might get a big view of God. A big view of God. And that might help you get a bigger faith in God. So the three parts that I'm going to look at is the worshipping the true and mighty God of heaven, verses 1 and 2. Then the actual thunderstorm description, which is verses 3 to 10, which is acknowledge the mighty voice of the God behind the thunderstorm. And then an amazing verse that I'll explain later. Realise this powerful, mighty God offers us peace, verse 11. So first of all, let's have a look at this verse 1 and 2. Doesn't seem to say much about a thunderstorm in verses 1 and 2. But David, you see, has started to praise God as he's witnessing this storm. It's leading him to think of God, as I've been made think of God through beautiful things in creation and different events in creation myself. And as he did that, he started praising God. And when we praise God, we're worshipping God. And so when he started worshipping God, he started to think of worship. But you know, his worship wasn't just on earth. His worship was in heaven as well because he actually speaks about the angels. He says in verse 1, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. David knew that the angels had a big role. And one of their big roles was to lead us in worship. That's what they do. They lead the whole of creation, not just heaven. They lead the whole of creation under the sea, over the sea. The whole lot is led by the angels in heaven in worship. Now, where do I get an idea from that? You can get a book called The Angels by um, Billy Graham and you can learn a lot about angels in that book. But one of the things that he points out is in this psalm and it's particularly spoken about in the book of Revelation Chapter 5, verses 11 to 13. Let me read it to you. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. That's a lot of angels. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. 
And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then it goes on to say, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and, and, and in it saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The angels are leading us now in worship. Constantly leading the whole world in worship. A few weeks ago at my church we sang that old hymn that talks about worship around the whole world. That as the sun comes up, there's someone worshipping God. Because there are now churches right around the whole world. So we're joining when we worship, we're joining with people all around the world and we're joining with the angels in heaven who are leading us in this worship. Now that's a big view of worship, a mighty big view of worship. But that's what the Bible seems to say. But these angels are not just flapping their wings or dancing around or whatever. They're saying things. They're saying things because the word is ascribing. The angels are ascribing or declaring is another word for ascribing. And what are they ascribing or what are they declaring? They're declaring the glory and the strength of this God. They're describing that glory only is due to him. He he alone deserves glory and honour and praise. And then they say to all of us here on earth and in heaven, worship, worship this Lord in splendour and holiness. In the second verse of my poem, The Prayer of the Created Poetry book of chapter 2, the second verse says this. It's actually a poem called Prayer of the Created, just like the title of the book. This is what I say. We should continually praise the Creator's name for his, his truly awesome, which his handiworks proclaim. He continually upholds our world with his power and all that he does helps us to live every hour. So God's creation reveals now to us that he is the Almighty in whom we should trust. So turn now and fear this great God above who is such an amazing God of love. So that's the introduction (laughs) to this amazing psalm. And then we now have the description of the actual thunderstorm. And in this uh, uh, section, David is talking about acknowledging the mighty voice of the God who's behind the thunderstorm. Note the thunderstorm is not God. God is behind it. He's speaking through it. Um, And uh, the pagans believe that, uh, you know, that, the thunderstorms and that were God. They had that idea. But God is behind the thunderstorm. He's speaking through the thunderstorm. Uh, David says in Psalm 19 verse 1, the, glory of the, Lord, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And uh, so this is what is happening here. And he believed that and he saw that in this thunderstorm. And uh, so it's the voice he's particularly thinking about, the voice of God which could also be the word of God, because when God speaks, we have his word. So it could also be talking about the word of God. And it's powerful. The word of God is powerful, like a thunder. Vroom! It's powerful, very powerful. Because he goes through it, doesn't he? Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Verse 6, he makes Lebanon leap like a calf. These mountains just shake as this thunderstorm is coming over them. 
Syrian, which is the highest mountain, Mount Hermon, we call it today, is like a young wild ox jumping all around. Verse 7 says, the voice of the Lord shakes with flashes of lightning. And verse 8 says, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert. You know, even out there in the desert, away from this thunderstorm that David is witnessing, he's being shaken around by this thunderstorm. must have been a pretty incredible thunderstorm in that time. And finally, the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. I've never seen a tree hit by lightning, but I've seen plenty of, uh, you know, video and stuff of that. You know, zoom, opens up the tree. Such is the power of lightning. I would not like to be struck by lightning, that's for sure. So um, this is a powerful God that he's describing with a powerful word, a powerful God with a powerful word. In uh, that chapter three of my book, Weather in the Sea, I talk about the wind. And in the last verse of that uh, verse, that poem I write, howling, storming, mighty blowing, pushing all around like leaves, now declaring God is glorious, for God is there behind the breeze. But David doesn't stop there in his description of the thunderstorm. He now starts to see the thunderstorm over Jerusalem itself. As I said, even today, these storms follow the same course. They, they smash into the mountains and they run along the mountain range, down, 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 and eventually, uh, particularly, they're very strong over Jerusalem. And of course, the temple is mentioned here. The temple is built in one of the highest hills on a hilly capital called Jerusalem. And there it is on top of the hill. So if the lightning's going to strike anywhere, it's going to strike on that hill, isn't it? It strikes the highest point that it can get to, the, the, the lowest point, easiest point it can get to. So it's flashing down, over the temple. And what are those people in the temple doing? They're going, glory, glory, glory. They're praising God. Now, that's not unusual because that was the role of the temple. The temple was put there for that reason, to bring glory and praise to God. The temple in the Psalms comes up quite a bit and the temple represented God being with his people. It was the building that said, hey, God is with us. God is with us. And there were symbols inside that temple that made that very, very clear because inside the Holy of Holies was that Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, what do we have? We have a box with an angel on one side and an angel on the other side, just like in heaven. The angels surround the throne of God. And in the middle of that, or the top of that box, is the mercy seat, which represents the throne of God. And what is the throne sitting on? The throne is sitting on a box that contains the covenant of God. You open the box and there is the two tables of stone that God wrote on to Moses, the Ten Commandments. The very agreement of God with his people. Why are they his people? Because he has made them his people. Because he has given them his law, he's given them his word and they are his people. He is their God and they are his people. That's what that temple represented. 
And so naturally, the people inside the temple, the priests and the Levites, etc., are going to start saying glory, glory to God, because not only are they reminded by the Ark of the Covenant that God is with them, but that very storm itself is speaking to them as well and telling them the power of God behind that thunderstorm is saying God has spoken to us, God is with us. And then David makes an absolute amazing statement about the sovereignty of God. Just to finish up his little description of this thunderstorm. And this is very appropriate. I, I prepared this some weeks back and then started to have a, you know, a go at it in the, the last few days. But I couldn't believe how appropriate it was because listen to what this verse says. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Now I've done 10 years study of the book of Psalms as soon as I see the word flood, bang, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about chaos. He's talking about the very thing in nature and in our lives that we cannot control. We cannot control floods. You cannot stop them. You can put sandbags up. You can do levee banks and all that stuff. But if the water's coming, it's coming. And that's what it was like even in the land of Israel. They could not stop floods. Floods represented chaos, absolute chaos in their lives. But what does this verse say? The verse says the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits over chaos. He's even in control of chaos. There's no chaos in God. God is in control of it. God has it under his control. And he makes it even clearer than that. He goes on to say that why God is enthroned over the flood. It's because he is enthroned as the king forever. He is the Lord. He is the king. He is the God who is over everything forever. Now you might say, my goodness, why do floods come? Why do we get caught up in floods? Why do people die in floods? Well, one of the reasons for that is we're out of step with God. Our world is out of step with God. Our world is out of step with nature. Nature is groaning. It's in a terrible state. It's waiting for the whole thing to be put back together right again. And that's probably one of the reasons why floods cause us so much havoc. When I was... uh, Finished Bible college uh, with Ted and Sue. I think I did a year extra with them, that's right. And John Maloney became a really close friend. He's a chap, I, I, he went off to work with European Christian Mission. And John and I went on a holiday. My parents were moved down to Eden at that time, down the south, way down the south coast. And I said, John, come with us. We'll have a holiday before we go off and do our thing that God wants us to do. And one day he went off with some friends at Bermagui. And I thought, I'm going to go out on the, the seashore and read some psalms. <laughs> and I was reading Psalm 90 as the waves were crashing around me. And uh, that psalm talks about the constant state of, of God being always there, never being moved. Even though there's a thousand years gone by, he's still the same. He always remains the same. He never changes. And as I read that psalm, I was inspired to write these words. It's a poem in the, in the book. We're like the sea, like the froth and foam. We're like the sea, we forever roam. 
But you, O Lord, are a constant rock. You never change. You never stop. Well, that's the description of the thunder sign. And you might think, well, gee, wait a minute, Jim, that's a bit terrifying. This picture of God is pretty big. You know, and, and, and the book of Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, we should be scared of God. We should be scared of what, he's, what he could do and what he's like. But we can also go beyond that because of verse 11. We can go far beyond that in our understanding of God and, and, and from the Bible because David in verse 11 tells us something absolutely amazing. He says to his people and he says to us, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. I'll read it again. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This incredible, powerful, mighty, unbelievably big, enormous, awesome God loves you and wants to give you strength and wants to give you peace. That's an amazing thought. That is an absolute amazing thought. Paul made it clear about what it's like to go through the Christian life. He doesn't state, become a Christian and everything will be rosy. You know, 16 families in our parish lost their houses. They're all committed Love God-loving Christians. They lost their houses. They were burnt to the ground. So the Bible is not teaching us that we won't have disaster and, and problems in our life. It does not teach us that at all. And Paul never taught that. Never taught that. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Turn your worries, he's saying there, into prayers. You're going to have worries. You're going to have difficulties. Life is going to throw a few things at you. But don't be anxious about that. Turn to God in prayer. Because he is a God who wants to give you strength and peace. And that's the message of the Christian message. No, Jesus came to make it all possible. He said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You see, Jesus has made a way back for us. Out of this chaos and mess that we're in, we can find a way back. And as we're going along the path or the road that I'm going to sing about in a few couple of minutes, He's helping us. He's with us. He's guiding us. He's giving us his strength. He's giving us his peace to go through the chaos and the difficulties of life. So in conclusion, let's go back through this very carefully. David's prayer of the created has followed a course of a thunderstorm, an event that led him to praise and worship God along with the angels in heaven. The thunderstorm reminded David of the voice of God, the word of God, how powerful and how mighty it is. And as the storm smashed into the mountains of Lebanon and split the trees apart, he kept thinking about how powerful this God must be 
this God who's made this thing, the thunderstorm, that he could even split the trees in half. And he wasn't the only one who was thinking about God through this thunderstorm and how great he is. So too were the very people in the temple because they were crying out glory, glory to God. So even though this thunderstorm might suggest that this God is pretty, pretty dangerous, he is also the same God that says, I am offering you strength. I am offering you peace. I want to close with one verse, one verse from John's Gospel. And I want to give you the context of this verse because you don't get the power or the impact of what Jesus is saying here until you understand the context. And the context is simple because John 16:33 is Jesus speaking to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. Okay? And he's preparing his disciples for a pretty chaotic, dramatic, terrible dark time because only a few hours later he's going to be arrested. He's going to be spat on and ripped clothes ripped apart. He's going to be found guilty of crimes he never committed. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be nailed up on a cross. He's going to die in absolute agony. Then he's going to be taken down from the cross. He's going to be put in a grave and that seems like the end. It seems like the end of everything for those disciples. And so Jesus says these words to them. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In, in this world you will have trouble. Look at this, Jesus telling us straight away. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, he says. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Now he's speaking this before his death and resurrection. He's speaking this before that. So what are we learning here? We're learning that this is how Jesus did it. Through this tragedy, through this um, uh, misappropriation of the law of his time, through the whole terrible way in which it went through what seemed like a tragedy would come victory. Through the tragedy would come victory because through Jesus doing that, he was able to bring us back to God. He was able to make a way for us to go. And uh, through believing in him, we can know our forgiveness, God's forgiveness of our sins. So even in the storms of that And even in that storm, Jesus was powerful and victorious, even though he seemed to be crushed and defeated. It was his plan, his way for us to know his peace and his strength in our life. So I want to sing now a final song, and it's called The Road. Now this 